today I want to go back. I, I teach a lot. A lot, of our, a lot of what I teach is circled around um, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the Word of God. And, and uh, that is found in Romans 12. Uh, Romans seems to be, Romans 12, verse 1, Romans seems to be a passage that Paul really focuses on this transformation. It is really uh, um, neat to see that it comes, Romans comes right after Acts, the, 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 the beginning of the church, the birth of the church. And when we look chronologically from that point, the first book that we see in the Bible is Romans. And Romans is designed to help us overcome ourselves. Remember Vic said that last week, you know, if, if there's just one thing you could overcome, if you could overcome yourself, uh, you know, get, get past yourself, um, get through where yourself is not getting in the way. Amen? And, it's, uh, it, and, and Romans is trying to teach us this. And so I'm just going to go at a little bit different angle today. Uh, because uh, God's just given me some information, uh, shared it with Pat this week, and she was just like, wow, you know, I mean, I've been teaching this for a long time, and, and it just came out a little differently, maybe a little more eye-open. Well, let's go to Romans chapter 8. We start with verse 1. There is therefore, there is therefore now, everybody say now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ, who walk not after the Spirit, or not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I heard it preached years ago, if, if you're feeling condemned, quit walking in the flesh, you know. and um, But that gives you no understanding on what to do about walking in the flesh and how do you get over that you know how do you how do you get that's just saying don't do it well okay that tells me that individual doesn't know how not to do it if all they're doing is telling you not to do it amen um, that's a that's not something that you can do immediately or alone because you were born in this flesh and it was in a sinful flesh, okay? What did you do to deserve to be born in sin? Did you do anything? See, we have twisted this gospel out of the realm of truth, okay? We, we claim we're unworthy, we claim this, that, and the other, but, but honestly, we are worthy because Christ made us worthy. So that makes us worthy. When we look at the value that God has placed on us by sending his anointed one, son, to the earth to pay as a ransom for us, that tells you the value of us. If you go to the store and you purchase something, what do you purchase it for? For the value that is placed on it, right? And you don't purchase it 
if you feel like they've got the value wrong, if it's overpriced. But if it's underpriced, you buy up as fast as you can, right? But, but the bottom line is it's all due to the value placed on the product that you're purchasing. So when God came to this earth and decided to purchase us back, what did he purchase? Did he use an angel? Did he use um, a, a, some type of spirit or some type of gold or goods? No. He used his own son. He actually became his son, became flesh, and dwelt among us. Right? So now what is your value? What is your value? See, and what did you do to deserve this, this value? You were made in this value. The Bible says that he fashioned you after his own image and likeness. He made you out of the dirt that he created. And formed you and then breathed his spirit inside of you. And then Adam failed, and because of his failure, now we are all born into sin. Because of one man's sin, we are all born into sin. So how did you become a sinner? You were born that way. You didn't do anything to become a sinner. See, if the church could ever get a hold of this, they'd quit judging sinners. they quit, quit, quit finding time to judge sinners, because you know what sinners do? They sin, because that's what sinners do. <laughs> what were you expecting them to do? If they don't know Jesus Christ, they don't know who he is. And here's the thing, it doesn't matter that they sin. What matters is they were born into sin. So even if they live a very good moral life, they don't use any choice words. They don't smoke any tobacco. They don't drink any liquor of any kind. They don't go in any places that are wrong. They waited till they were virgins to get married. They did everything right. Guess what? They're still a sinner. It's not by how good you are. It's not by how bad you are. You are born a sinner. Christ didn't come... He did not come, and we don't celebrate his coming next week. We don't celebrate it because we were unworthy, and he kind of felt like, well, yeah, you're unworthy. Somebody's got to do something, so I guess we'll go down there, and we'll save them. That was not his plan. That doesn't even sound like a good plan to God. If you read the Bible, it doesn't even sound like God, but we talk like that. We think like that. But he had so much value on us, the Bible says, before the world was framed, Christ died for us. Now, do you know what that, what that means is he already knew that Adam was going to fail. He already knew his plan was not going to be accepted. 
and that we would take another course of plan. And he allowed us to do that. And because of that course of plan, we're now born into sin. Not a choice. And there's not. There are sins that differentiate us as human beings. Sins that offend one another. Sins that bring harm to each other. Now we, we put levels on those types of sins. Okay? As humanity. But with God, it's just sin. You know what the Bible says sin is? Missing the mark. What's the mark? To be like Christ. And when we try to be like Christ without Christ, we miss it. Amen? And when we miss it, that is a result of sin. Where he, we've not allowed him in. So now I'm going to talk to you today about something, a, a, a common thing that we all deal with. We don't talk enough about it. So let's just go back here. Verse number two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So now you see two laws going on here, right? These are not commandment laws. These are just laws of of the spiritual nature, okay? These are just the laws. If these are laws are like gravity. You, you can't, you're not going to eliminate them. They're always going to be there. If you don't believe, if you don't believe it, just, just, you know, jump off the building and find out what happens with that law. It's going to work and it's going to work every time. Amen? If you drop something, it's going to go to the ground. That's the law of gravity. The law of sin and the law of, of the Spirit in Christ are also the same. They always work. They always work. It is, it, and, and Christ has made us free to choose which one we're going to function in. The law of sin and death or the law of the Spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus. You cannot operate when dealing with these laws right here, these two laws. You cannot operate and choose one and expect the other. You can't choose the law of sin and death and expect the law of life. In, there's a lot of people out there who feel like they can be saved some other way, but they're going to go to heaven. But the, but, but the only way to heaven is through Christ. Because he's the only one who cleanses us of our sin. He's the only one that makes us righteous in him. And he's the only qualifier. No other belief system brings a qualification to fulfill the law. Only Christ. So see, people get upset because there's got to be another way to, to heaven besides Jesus. Well, there isn't. There isn't any life in any other religion but in Christ Jesus. He's the only one that can bring dead things to life. 
And he brings our dead spirit to life. He brings our dead flesh to life. He can bring our sickness and disease are nothing more than prolonged death. You can, you can end up dying over a hangnail if you keep working at it. You get that thing infected, and then you keep fiddling around with it, and fiddling around with it, it won't be long before that infection starts running up your arm. You keep fiddling around with it and fiddling around with it, gangrene will eventually set in. Keep playing around and prolonging it and playing and playing and playing, and it won't be long before that infection will affect your heart valves, it'll start affecting your blood system, every, every organ in your, in, your, in your body, and it won't be long before that little hangnail has now killed you. All along you could have done something about the hangnail. We've got to understand that sin comes in, it is in our life, and we've got to get it taken care of. And the only way to take care of it is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that will begin to develop something. And, and I'm gonna, I, I believe I know why some of us are not seeing a difference in our life since we came to Christ. Oh, there's been a little bit of difference. But we're still struggling with some of the old ways and natures and, and beliefs and different things. So let's just go on a little bit more. I'm just laying some ground here. For what the law could not do in that it was weak. Now we're talking about not the law of the spirit of life. We're not talking about the law of sin and death. Now we're talking about the law, the Ten Commandments, and all of its amendments. For what the Ten Commandments and all of its amendments could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. It, it expected the flesh to fulfill. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Notice he came for sin. Amen. You're his creation and he came not, we get this messed up, he came for sin. To put an end to it, to stop it from its working. The Bible says that if sin is left alone with, it will create death. And I'm going to show you here in a minute why Christians, why we as Christians are dying before we should. We're not getting our, our years that, we, that God had intended. Okay? So watch this. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, listen to this big word here, condemned sin in the flesh. Christ came and condemned sin in the flesh. All right? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Or the righteousness, the righteousness or the right standing of the, of the Ten Commandments and all of its amendments might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, because through the flesh it is failure, but we walk after the Spirit. 
For they that are of the flesh, we talk about this, do mind the things of the flesh. Okay? When you're driving down the road and you see a deer and you focus on the deer and you look up and you're coming off the road, what direction are you going? You're going toward the deer because you're mindful of the deer. When we're mindful of something, we turn toward it. So many people are struggling because they continue, not that they're looking. Uh, the addict is not struggling because they're looking at the drug. The addict is struggling because he's looking at his flesh. All he can talk about is his flesh. All he can talk about is his, his addiction. All he can talk about is how he can't get over it. All he can talk about is how I can't, this is this thing in my, it's just become a mountain in my life. I can't get around, I can't get under, I can't get over, I can't get through it. I don't know what to do. And all he is mindful of is his flesh desire for that thing and he can't get over it. Because he's being mindful of the flesh. And you can't overcome it. That's what we struggle in. Every struggle inside the church is struggling looking at one another's flesh. And when you're looking at one another's flesh, you can't get over your own flesh. That's the evidence. Just like when you get in your car and the oil light comes on. Husbands, do you want your wife to continue driving that car if the oil light comes on? No. Stop. What do we need to do? We need to check the oil. Let's get oil in that thing, right? And if the light still comes on, maybe we've got an oil pump problem. So we need to go deeper. There's something going on with the oil. Something's wrong with the oil, right? Because it's giving us a signal to bring our attention to it. The Bible tells us that God cannot forgive you if you don't forgive your own brother, okay? Forgiveness. It's the same with flesh. God can't deliver you of your flesh if you're looking at other flesh. Now, do you want to know the human aspect of that right there? Because it's not that God doesn't have the power to forgive you. He's already forgiven you. But see, if you can't forgive yourself, you can't receive forgiveness. And if you can't receive forgiveness, God can't forgive you. Now are we getting somewhere? God can't forgive you if you can't receive the forgiveness. Guess what? He's forgiven the whole world when Christ died and the blood was shed. Yes, at that moment, he's forgiven the whole world of sin. But is the whole world saved? No. Only those who receive that forgiveness are saved. Now that they have received that forgiveness, they are, they are born again and they are now saved. Amen. And if that's really happened in their life and they're really redeemed, they see the rest of the world redeemed if you could just receive him. So we're not dealing with sin now, we're dealing with receiving. Is this making any sense? And reason we can't receive is because 
we have this feeling that we're not worthy. And that's why he started this chapter out, there is now therefore, there is therefore now, there is therefore now, no condemnation. Now I asked my wife the other day, I, I, I just, I, I'd, been in the, I'd been back studying on this, and I came in and sat down in the living room, I said, sweetie, when you think about condemnation, do you think of that as a feeling? Is it, is it a feeling? Is it a feeling that you have, or is it a position? And she said, well, a feeling. How many of you would agree? Do you know why it's a feeling? Because you've been trained it's a feeling. You've been trained so long that it's a feeling that now your mind needs to be transformed. Because, the, because you received God's forgiveness, and the next thing you know, you're feeling condemned. When condemnation is not a feeling, condemnation is a judgment. It's a position you're put in. That's why he said you, there is therefore now no condemnation because condemnation is actually a position of being disapproved of. Is God disapproved of you? No. No, he found you and he saved you. But because of your feeling of being disapproved, because you don't believe you have been approved, you have a feeling that begins to distance you from him. Unacceptable. It's a position of being unacceptable, disqualified, discarded, and judged. Condemnation. Uh-oh. If it's a feeling. See, are there feelings attached to it? Yes, called guilt or shame. But we can't allow guilt or shame. Guilt cries out for mercy. Shame cries out for restoration. Condemnation has no cry because you're already judged. So if we can transform our mind as to what condemnation really is, what happens is we allow those feelings in and those feelings take us to thoughts and then the thoughts and feelings begin to establish. And then the established is what we stand on. And then we don't feel worthy for God to do something for us. But we can believe he'll do it for someone else because we don't see the inward battle going on in them. We only see the inward battle going on in us because we are flesh-minded. Oh, my. And we're losing the battle because the flesh is stronger than the spirit. This is why people freak out with you. This is why whenever I came with this the first time, I preached it in my home church. Not quite like I'm preaching it today. 
But I spoke things that were not as though they were. If you're going to be godlike, you have to speak, speak. Paul said, speaking those things that are not as though they are. And they shall be. Amen. What do we do? We get thoughts and feelings, and the next thing you know, they become the abundance of our heart. And how we establish those thoughts and feelings is we begin to speak those thoughts and feelings. We talk with shame attached to it. We talk with guilt attached to it. We hesitate when talking about our future, um, our dreams, our... There's a difference between hesitating talking to somebody about your dreams because they'll think you're crazy and talking about your dreams because you feel a little ashamed about those dreams. That's just a little too big. Can I really talk like that? I mean, look at my age. Can I really talk like that? I mean, do I really have enough time for God to do that for me? You know, is there enough time for God to do miracles in my life? Or is it just time for me just to go on home? I mean, really. What time is it for me? And then we talk like that because of the thoughts and feelings of guilt and shame. And we, we develop a conversation and a vo vocabulary that, that produces a road, a way. Remember, he said, he said that uh, my ways are higher than your ways. My thought, because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the rain and snow falls out of heaven and returns not thither, but when it does return, it produces what it was sent to do, so are my words. That's what he said, so are my words. I send them, and they return not to me, but when they do return, they produce exactly what I sent them to do. But if you don't believe those words, and you believe something else, then the spirit is not attached to it, but the flesh is. The shame and the guilt is attached to it because you feel unworthy. And that is why people will criticize you for believing like this. They'll, they'll, they look at you like you have lost your mind. Don't you understand? God saved you. They really don't know why. They just, you just got graced. God chose you, you're special, and somebody else says it. No, remember, he paid the price, and his opinion was he paid the price, and he ended the, the price of, for sin for the whole world. But you have to accept it, but you can't accept it unless you can receive that's why he has to come in with his spirit with conviction, not condemnation. Conviction. Conviction is convincing you you need him because he knows you need him. You need this payment paid so that you have the opportunity to live free. To live free, I've got to change my mind. I've been set free. How many of you remember the feeling it was when you got saved when he set you free? But to live free, how many of you know as a Christian, been a Christian a long time, 
there's a difference between being set free and living free. There's a difference between setting a prisoner free. You give him his bus ticket, you give him a little bit of money, and you take him down to the road to the corner, put him on a bus back home, but that guy is not free. He's free from the prison walls out here, but he ain't free. You can watch him how he walks around in the mall. You can watch him while he walks down the street. You can listen to him talk. You can listen, watch him walk. He is not free. What, how does he get free from what he was set free from? He has to change his mind. He has to transform his thought. How does he do that? Well, you've got to know what you're dealing with. And when we're dealing with condemnation, it's a thing that we feel and we think that it's a feeling. When it's not a feeling, it's a judgment. We're either judged righteous or we're judged con condemned. We're either judged condemned or we're judged righteous. And we have to wrap our head around how we're judged. And who says we're judged this way? Who says it? I want to know what he has to say. Now here's, what's, here's the, why we battle with this. Watch this. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Now you could be a Christian and still be so much in the flesh. How many of you met Christians that are in the flesh? How many of you have been hurt at church because people in the flesh? Or you were in the flesh? Or both of you were in the flesh? How many of you known Christian people? I can tell you this. Christian people are the meanest ones. You don't find any meaner people than Christian people that are trying to tell you you're loved when they've never received the love. Amen. Amen. It's one thing to be told you're loved and you know you're loved because they've already loved you. Then somebody tell you, I love you, don't you understand? And, you, you know, <laughs> and you've never felt love from them. You've never, you've never seen love from them. They're struggling because they have not received love, but they know the Bible says they are loved, and they're trying to believe something without receiving it. Believing is an action word working in something you have already received. I'm believing for my healing. What's that mean? I have already been convinced that I am healed. I have received the love of God that he says I am healed. I received that he, he had the stripes, that he bore the stripes for my healing, and he paid for my healing. It is already paid. He paid for it in full so that I could have it because I'm that valuable. He values, he wants to see me healed. He wants to see me healed more than I want to be healed. And so now I'm acting on my healing. Acting on my healing is I am healed. I look at my doctor and just drives her crazy. You know you have this, right? I understand I'm diagnosed with this. Oh, you have this. No, I'm diagnosed with that. It drives her up a wall. And she's a Christian. Christians are the hardest. Because they're looking, at, and I think doctors and lawyers, it's really hard for them. Because they're always looking at the flesh of the situation. Because they have to. And what happens is they end up dwelling on the flesh of the situation. See, I 
It's hard for me. I have been around and, and human study all my life. My finances have depended upon human study. When I approach someone, I am looking at their eyes. I'm watching the tilt of their head. When I talk to you, I'm watching the tilt of your head. It's just automatic for me. I'm watching how you got your legs. I'm watching where your arms and hands are at. All that has just been put in me automatically to watch all of that while I'm talking to you. Because I'm studying you to see, one, are you telling me the truth? Is this coming from your heart? Are you just saying this? Do I need to take you serious? Or do I need to, do I need to just, are you just needing someone to, to bounce off of? Do I need to react here? Do I need to respond? Or are you really just wanting to talk? I, I just need to, what's your motivation? Where are you at? Okay? So, so, so in that, I struggle because I was telling a gentleman the other day, I helped him out of a situation that he was in, and it was a, it was a bad marriage situation. And we, I, I counseled with him for some time. And uh, I ran into him the other day. And while I was counseling with him, I could see that there was not going to be a, this was not going to be restored. And it's the saddest thing you can see when something's not going to be restored. And, and I had to break that to him. This is not going to be restored. And, and then I said, this is what's going to happen next. And then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen, and this is going to be the end result of all of it. And he didn't believe me. And just the other day, we were talking, and he goes, Dean, I'll tell you what. It happened in order. The chronological order you gave me, it happened just like that. How in the world did you know that? I said, human study. I, you were not my first rodeo. And you probably won't be my last rodeo. So the, the, the difficulty with that is, though, is that you have to set people free for God to do something different besides what the human nature is. Amen. Amen. So what I have to be careful with myself is know what the human nature is going to be, but at the same time, give grace that God could move and, and work and do a miracle and all of that changes. Amen? So we have to give him his opportunity. Amen? And then we have to hear him and know when he says that's enough, it's time to move on. Amen? So now watch this. Here's why we struggle so much. For to be carnally minded is death. Uh, when sin is conceived and it is fulfilled, the Bible says it brings death. Sin always brings death. Do you know what? That's why Vic preached what he preached last week. Um, this last week I was cutting this tree. I was getting it trimmed down. 
And Pat called me and asked me how I was doing. I said, I am fighting the law of disintegration out here, and I'm having a time. Now, the week before while I was doing this and over here, I was doing a lot of complaining. I was. I was out here doing this tree, and I was not happy about it. You know, um, I had to repent because I was complaining to God. You gave me this piece of property. Now I'm out here working my tail end off. Where's all the people you said you was going to give me? I should be, there should be a line of people. He said, how many did you ask? I said, none. <laughs> Quit arguing with me, you know. I don't want to hear about that. I just want to complain right now. I got started on this one, and, and I just got happy. I'm fighting the law of disintegration. I called, Vic called me up in the middle of that. He said, well, how you doing? I said, I'm doing great. He goes, what are you doing today? I said, I'm fighting the law of disintegration. And he just started chuckling. And he says, uh, and where are you doing that at? And I said, the second planter, we're getting rid of this, we're getting this tree trimmed. He said, you know, Dean, every time you cut your hair, you're fighting the law of disintegration. I said, I'm getting even happier. Do you know every time you dye your hair, you're fighting the law of disintegration? Amen. Every time you wash your clothes, you're fighting the law of disintegration. Every time you buy new clothes, you're fighting the law of disintegration. And that doesn't mean that I just said, wives, just go out and shop. I, mean, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> Amen? So, so watch this. When we're operating in the spirit, we're fighting the law of disintegration. When we're operating in the flesh, we're, we are operating in the law of, of um, Look at what I've done. People that expect something when they come, particularly at church, because church is basically volunteer, and they do something at church and they're expecting something in return. We need to thank and we need to show appreciation and, and encourage and, and remind them we are mindful of what they're doing and we appreciate what you do. But when we come expecting, we're in the flesh once again. Amen. Because God's the one that repays for anything. He, Jesus is the one when the disciples said, hey, what do we get out of this? See, people forget that. A disciple who got to write a good portion. He got his own books. Peter got his own books. Who's got their own books in the Bible? There's something there, their relationship. And in that relationship, Peter said, hey, what do we get out of this? And Jesus said, in this lifetime, I'll repay you. I will repay you. I will make sure you're taken care of. Who's going to repay me? God's going to repay me. I'm not looking in the flesh for somebody else to do it. I'm looking to God because he's the one responsible. Amen? Here's where we run into trouble. For to the carnally minded is death, but to the spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind or the mind that is after the flesh is enmity against God. Now, enmity is a word that means hostile or op opposed. So when we look at ourselves and we're constantly mindful of our weaknesses, mindful of our... It's one thing to know that we're weak and through God, He's going to give us strength to do this. But when we're always looking at ourselves, well, I, you know, look at me, I'm just nothing... I'm nobody. I can't, I can't get anything done. I, I'm just, 
you know, I'm just this, and I fail all the time. I don't know why God wants. That is in opposition, in a hostile opposition towards God when you talk like that about yourself. And we've never saw that. We thought we were being humble. We thought we were being, we thought that was humility. We thought we were letting God know, hey, I, I'm nothing. I'm just an old When you say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, that is in hostile opposition to God. Oh, sorry, my Baptist brother. I mean, I'm honest. I'm not being sarcastic here. I'm sorry to break it to you. But when you throw your little comment out that I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, you have stepped into a realm not of humility with Christ, not with humility with God. That's not going to earn you any points with him. Matter of fact, you stepped right up into opposition with hostile opposition to what he said about you. He said, my blood has cleansed you. My blood has made you whole. My blood has made you an heir and joint heir with my son. My blood has, has delivered you. My blood has restored you. My blood has made you righteous in me. How dare you stand in opposition to me and say that you're a, that my blood has made you just an old sinner saved by my grace. What a weak, anemic thing to say about the power of my blood. Wow. You are not judged. You are not judged disqualified. You are not judged discarded. You are not judged as not good enough. You are judged righteous in him. When you are judged unrighteous, when you are judged unworthy, you have the tendencies to stay away from him and his presence. When you feel and know and, 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 and have your mind transformed to being judged righteous, judged worthy, judged acceptable, you have a tendency to go toward him. Now, when going toward him, what's the chances of your flesh slowly falling off of you? Really good. If, you're, if your tendency is to get away from him, what's the chances of your flesh solidifying, fortifying, and building stronger? Absolutely, 100%. What is God trying to do? Come unto me, all ye that are heavy, are burdened, and labor. I will give you rest. Rest from what? The judgment of condemnation and the restoration of righteousness in you. My favorite translation is this. So now, and I close with this, the case is closed against you. <laughs> ah, there remains no accusing voice. No accusing voice of condemnation against you who have joined 
a life union with him. Now, you know what your life union is? Are you leaving Floyd? Are you going to leave Floyd? Nothing Floyd could do, you're going to leave now, are you? You might want to kill him, but you ain't leaving him, are you? See, it's the determination that I, how many of you are going to leave Christ? How many of you are going to turn your back and say, I'm gone, I'm gone, I want nothing else to do with you, I just want my salvation, I want it reneged, renegotiated here, and I want it, I want it back, I want my sinful life back, and I want you just to go away and leave me alone. How many of you, see your life union with him, right? You're married to him. You're not going anywhere. That doesn't mean you're the perfect mate. All right? It just means you've already made a determination. I'm going no place. I'm staying here. And to that one who has made that decision, there is no longer a judgment against you. Hallelujah. 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 The only judgment, the only judgment that is judged on you is his righteousness. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for this season. We thank you for this meal back here that we're all about to enjoy. We receive it in, in health and healing. And, Father, we receive fellowship today and connection with one another in you. Amen. God bless you. You're ready to eat. You can go right back.